You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. David. That's funny. My name is David. No, I have to pull a David and I have to say, Lord, search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Point it out to me, Lord, so that I might get rid of it, so that I might come to you in pureness and holiness. And you have to go there. Yes. And it's difficult sometimes to sit before him because then when you say that, you've got to be ready to then go, uh, how about this bad boy? And then you have to deal with it according to his purpose and his way. If I think about it at all, I tell myself that I'm doing great with my walk with Christ. I think we all assume that we're doing well. But like Pastor Dave and like King David, we need to ask God to search our hearts and show us what we have hidden. He knows you so much better than you know yourself. He will show you. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 8 as he continues his message, Solomon Prays. At this point, Solomon is closest that he's ever been to the Lord. And unfortunately, he's at the pinnacle of his closeness. Because not long from now, he begins to slide. But right now, he is at the pinnacle of his relationship with God. And he sees all these things, and he's just, wow. And the Lord is going to speak to him boldly in in chapter 9, once again. He's going to hear directly from the Lord himself. Solomon asked the Lord to forgive the sins of the people when they prayed. We're going to look at that at verse 30, 34, 36, 39, and 50. And also maintain their cause. Not only forgive their sins, but maintain their cause. Solomon had the gift of wisdom given to him by the Lord. And he understood the terms of the covenant. The covenant found in 28 and 29 of Deuteronomy. And we've talked about it before. It's the covenant of blessings and cursing. The blessings and cursings of the Lord. What's interesting is that as Solomon prays, he mentions the very calamities that the Lord promises to send in the event of the disobedience of his children. It's almost prophetic. As I read through these several times, a couple saying, what, is he prophesying here? Is he prophesying, Lord, when there's a famine and because of our sin and we return to you, um, heal us. Lord, when we get carried away into captivity and we return to you, heal us. Well, all these things are going to happen. All these things are going to happen to the nation Israel because of their disobedience to God. God is going to allow all this thing to happen. So it's almost prophetic as Solomon prays. But something that Solomon knew, and I think something that a lot of you know, and and, and if you don't know that, you need to really realize it, is that the Lord always promises, even back here, and even more so now in the New Covenant. Remember, we're in the Old Covenant in the Old Testament, or in the New Covenant now, the Lord always promises restoration for those who would repent and return to Him. Remember that. You can never stray too far from the Lord. You can never go too far where you can't turn around. You can never go too far while He's not right behind you with arms open wide when you turn back to Him. But there's an act 
act of turning. And that's where repentance comes in. Repentance, that huge word that everybody gets so upset about, simply means to turn around. Repentance simply means from stop following the way away from the Lord, turn around and go to the Lord. Scripture says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. If you seek me, you'll find me. We have a clear mandate here. God will never turn you back if you turn back to him in faith and in love. He will never turn you away. He will always accept you. He still does today. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. And now as Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. There is salvation by no other name. I don't care what gods you have. I don't care what, how many gods you set up. You will not find salvation in any other name except the name of Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Solomon is burdened for his nation. He's burdened for his people. He has this great wisdom that God has given him. And it's almost, he's, he's, he's filling up with this prophetic verses like, wow. You know, and, and, and it's almost like, I'm getting, a, I'm getting a feeling that he's almost like he's interceding, much like Abraham interceding for, for Lot. You know, and that, that great, that great, Barring system that he and the Lord had. Lord, if there are 50 righteous in, in, um, in, 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 in Sodom, will you spare them? Yes. Well, how about 40? How about 30? You know, you know the story. And here, it's almost like Solomon is, is intercessing for his people. He's intercessing and making supplication on behalf of his people. Basically saying, Lord, if they do this and come back, hear from them. Heal them. Help them. It's really, really cool. And he makes seven, which is no coincidence because seven is God's perfect number. He makes seven basic requests to the Lord. And that's basically what we're going to read through. And we're going to read through them pretty fast. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them. The first thing he, re- he does is he prays for justice in the land in verses 31 and 32. When anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath, and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from it in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked, bringing his way on his head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. Remember, it's always about the wicked and the righteousness. There's always, there is always a reward for righteous living. Always a reward for righteous living. All right. That's how we come to know Christ by faith. The faith we have in Jesus Christ is counted to us as righteousness. Faith we have in Jesus Christ is counted to us as righteousness. So a dispute comes one against another. Solomon said that that the temple would be a place where everybody goes and they swear. And Solomon asked God to see what man can. To look into the heart of man. See, God knows the heart of man. And we're going to come to that verse 2. Where God knows what's in the heart of man. God has always known what's in the heart of man. And he sees into that heart. So he can make a decision clearly when we can. Because we just see the outside. God looks upon your heart. He's looking upon your heart right now. And he knows what's in there. He knows what's dwelling in there. He knows what needs to be jettisoned. He knows those things that are good. He knows all those things, even as we speak. So he can enforce from heaven the oaths that are made in the temple. And it becomes binding. It becomes something that's binding. And Solomon is saying, hey, Lord, when these two guys have a problem, and they come to you, Figure it out. <laughs> Basically, he's saying, figure it out, Lord. Let me know. I love it. In verse 33 and 34, he prays against military defeat. Let's read 33 and 34. 
When your people Israel are defeated before an enemy, why? Because they have sinned against you. There's the caveat. And when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple, then here in heaven, and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back into the land which you have given their fathers. Look at the way it's set up there. When they lose a battle because of their sinfulness, when they lose a battle because of their sinfulness, then they turn around and they confess their sinfulness, they repent of their ways, they come back to you, then hear, then listen to them. You see all the things that they have to do, all the things that they have to make, make sure of. Israel suffered defeat after defeat by not crying out to God. Look how many times when we studied David, he made those mistakes of going in without God's care and how they were defeated. It was even worse when the defeat became because they sinned. This is what would happen. They would sin. Sin would grow great in the camp. And God would allow them to be defeated by an enemy to show them the error of their ways. To show them the error of their ways. So Solomon asked God to hear. Hear the prayers of your defeated people. And the humble and the penitent Israel. See, it's really important. They can be sorry, but not repentive sorry. Sorrowful repentance, godly repentance is what they're looking for. Not just sorry we lost. Know why they lost. Oh, we lost because we've sinned. Oh, and that's the problem. It's not the law, it's the sin. See, that's the problem, the root. God forgives and restores his defeated people when they come humbly to him. God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud, doesn't he? God raises up the humble, doesn't he? Let God exalt you. Let God lift you up. So we have justice and we have battles. Now we have drought, 35 and 36. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray towards this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then here in heaven, forgive their sins of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land, which you have given them, your people, as an inheritance. <laughs> Again, there's this prescribed method here for Israel to follow. It's a prescribed method. As we go through the Old Testament, you see famine after famine, drought after drought, things that God does because of their disobedience. In verses 37 and 40, you have famines and other pestilences. When there is a famine in the land, pestilence and blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when the enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart, and spreads out his hands towards the temple, then here in heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive and act, and give everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all men, of the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they may live in the land which you've given their fathers. Again, the prescription. Here in a time of famine. Here in the time of a plague. Even a plague that's caused by cursing. Remember when David made a mistake and numbered the people. He had to choose what would befall him. And he chose a plague. And 70,000 Israelis died. And David came before God and, and, and confessed and cried out to God. And God heard his cry. Solomon recognized that some of these plagues are easily seen. But what about the plague of the heart? 
Oh, the plague of the heart. And then you have people like Jeremiah or the prophet Hosea who declared to Israel, break up the fallow ground of your heart. Break up that fallow, hard, crumbly ground in your heart. Break it up. Why? So you can receive what God has for you. If your ground is fallow, it means it's hard and caked over and dry. You haven't cultivated it with the word of God. You haven't let it grow. There's no good soil there. You need to break it up. I'm sure now at when, when Gordon starts to plant the North 40, he's out there with his rototiller breaking up the fallow ground from the winter. He's breaking up all that old dirt that had caked over and hardened over from the frost and all that kind of thing. And he's plowing it under so that he can plant. Well, we need to do that with our heart. We need to do that with our heart before God and let God say, okay, Lord, here it is. Here's the clean heart, Lord, help me. And you know, sometimes I don't know that my heart is really dirty. I don't know how dirty my heart is, so I have to sit before the Lord and go, Lord, I have to pull a David. That's funny, my name is David. No, I have to pull a David, and I have to say, Lord, search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Point it out to me, Lord, so that I might get rid of it, so that I might come to you in pureness and holiness. And you have to go there, yes. And it's difficult sometimes to sit before him, because then when you say that, you've got to be ready to then go, uh, how about this bad boy? Ugh. And then you have to deal with it according to his purpose and his way. Solomon is saying, Lord, when, when they come this way, when, when they come this way, break up that fallow ground. Help their hearts to be pure towards yours. In verses 41 through 43, Solomon talks about foreigners, foreigners who are going to come into the temple. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your namesake, for they will hear your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm, and when he comes and prays towards his temple, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you, that all the people of the earth may know your name and fear you as you do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name." Look into the foreigner. See, this is a key point here. Israel was not supposed to keep God to themselves. Yes, he was their God. But it wasn't something, he's our God and you can't have him. No, they had to share God. They were supposed to share God with the world. They were supposed to share God with the, with, with the Gentiles. They were supposed to share everybody God. Here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do all that the foreigner says. What the people ask you in your name. He asked God to hear these people. Why? So that God's name will go forth. If you, have a, if you have someone who is not an Israeli in the temple praying, and God hears them and does something, they will go back and go, look what Jehovah of Israel did for me. And people would know God. So God does these things, and he wants that to happen. He wants that to happen. It's 45 and 44, or the other way around. When your people go out to battle against their enemy, wherever you send them, and when they pray to the Lord toward the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name, then here in heaven in their prayer supplication and maintain their cause. So they go into battle. May God be with them. May God be there. I remember the movie, The Longest Day, and they used to, there, was a, there was a thing where they had a, a German section and they had an American thing, and they were, they were in subtitles. And when the Germans were worried about the D-Day invasion, they were looking out on the beach, and one of them said, I wonder which side God's on. And then they had the American side, and they were talking, and all of a sudden the conversation came, and one of the American guys says, I just wonder which side God's on. 
That's interesting when you think about that. Uh, Solomon is praying that God would be on the side of the righteous. God is always on the side of the righteous. If God be for us, who can be against us? He is always on our side. So let's finish this out in 46. And when they sin against you, for there is none who does not sin. Wait a minute. Time out. Did we just read Romans 3.23? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. Look, what does it say right there? When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. And you become angry with them and deliver them from the enemy and take them by captivity in the land of the enemy far and near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land to those who took them captive saying, we have sinned and done wrong and we have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart, notice with all their heart and with all their soul and in the land of the enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land, which you've gave to their fathers, and the city which you have chosen, and the temple which I have built in your name, then here in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication, and maintain their cause. And forgive your people who have sinned against you, and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you. And grant them compassion before those who took them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people, and your inheritance, whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron furnace, that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant, and the supplication of your people Israel, to listen to them whenever they call to you for you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance as you spoke by your servant Moses when you brought your fathers out of the land of Egypt oh Lord God wow what a prayer what a prayer that's that's an incredible prayer he knows God hears all prayers Inside the temple and outside the temple. God hears your prayers. The, the simplest prayer you can, you can possibly say is, Lord, help me. Help me. Say that with a repentant heart. Say that with an open heart. Say that with a humble heart. And the Lord will heal your cry. Lord, help me. We think we have to have these long, glowing, flowery prayers. But God listens to our prayers. Solomon closes his prayer by asking God to keep his eyes on the temple once again. Keep his eyes on the people who come to worship there. He asked the Lord to keep his ears open to their requests and, and do the things that they're requesting. This is a great thing for the leader to do. He's, he's letting the people know that I'm praying for you. Here, Solomon is an intercessing for the entire nation. It must have been a beautiful, beautiful sight. So let's finish here. What counts when we pray? Standing, kneeling, arms open, arms folded, eyes closed, eyes open. What counts? Thank you. Our heart. Our heart. That's what counts. It's the position of your heart that matters when you pray. It's not your position, bowed head, closed eyes, folded hands, arms up, arms down, whatever. It's not the posture of your body that reflects. It's the posture of your heart. The posture of your heart when you come before the Lord. If our heart is pressed down, we probably will be on our knees before the Lord. Uh, have you ever been driven to your knees before the Lord? I have. Have you ever been driven even further from your knees down to your face? And laid flat on the ground, prostrate to the ground, praying to the Lord? Sometimes when you are pressed down, sometimes when you are just so heavy burdened, that's the position to take. There's no... 
theory or right, wrong way of praying except to talking to God and allowing him time to talk back. <laughs> yeah. So many of us want the show. And I need this and this, and you got to take care of that. You got to do this, and oh, yeah, you got to that, and all this. Thing, and thanks, God. Bye. Do you ever have a conversation with somebody like that? You just dying to get that word in edgewise, and you can never really quite get that word in edgewise, and they just keep talking and talking, and pretty soon they go, Well, I got to go by click. Don't do that to God. <laughs> don't do that to God. Don't, don't, don't get in such a hurry to get your request out that you don't sit and listen to Him. Solomon is going, to, is going to sit. And we're coming into some interesting thing. He's going to bless the assembly. He's going to dedicate the temple finally. And then God is going to speak to him. God is going to boldly speak to him. So when we pray, and we're going into a time of prayer right now, those of you who can stay around. When we pray, we need to come to him believing that he is. Believing that he's able to do it exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ever dream or imagine or think. We can ask for every good thing that we've ever experienced and believe that God can even do better. We can ask for all the things that we can possibly imagine in our head or experience and believe that God can do better. And we can believe that all the good things, the ability that God has given us that we could do, but yet God can do better. God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever think or imagine in Christ Jesus. Remember your position in Christ. Remember when your position in Christ when we pray. And it's not just tagging at the end in Jesus' name. It's being in that position as you pray, knowing that you are now one with Christ and you are one with the Father. And He hears you. He sees you. He knows what's going on in your heart and in your life. And he desperately wants to be a part of it. He desperately wants to be a part of it. So we have a great model prayer here. A great time of prayer. And I got through those 30 some odd verses. How about that? So praise God. So I would like now for you guys to go into prayer. I would like you guys to get take some time and pray amongst yourselves. Those of you that have to leave, I respect time. And you guys, we love you and hope to see you on Sunday. But maybe it's time when you can get together for prayer. The elders will be up here. If you need prayer, get them. gather up amongst yourselves and pray for one another. Let God lead your prayers and listen intently as God leads your prayers. So let's do that, huh? Let me pray first. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you, Lord, for this model prayer that we have by your servant Solomon. We thank you, Lord, that we have it right here before us so we can read and we can acknowledge what you want, Lord. I pray, Father, that our hearts now would be totally open to you. I pray, Lord, that nothing in our hearts are hindering our relationship with you. And Father, if there is something that is getting in our way, something within our heart that should not be there, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would point it out and then by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to jettison it and get rid of it. So, Lord, help us, Lord, as we pray. May we pray according to your purpose. May we pray according to your will. And may we know that you work all things together for good for those that love you and are called according to your purpose. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of 1 Kings. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We encourage you to download these messages so that they're available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel, Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit assurehoperadio.com for times and directions. And if you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of 1 Kings. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from 1 Kings. But until then, we encourage you to read through the Bible on your own and tune in next time on A Sure Hope.